Well, good evening. I just want to say three things here before we get started. As you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 33. Three things I just want to say here as we, um, before we pray. I just want to say, uh, first of all, thank you to the executive committee for uh, extending the invitation to me to come and, and to speak at a regional. It's a real privilege for me to to do this, this, these originals are a real blessing for uh, my family and I as we have opportunity. And you, many of you have seen our, our children grow up literally uh, at these uh, regional meetings. And so thank you for that opportunity. I also want to say thank you to each of you who pray for us as a family. And you pray for our ministry there, Faith Bible Church. And uh, we do want you to know that God continues to be gracious and show his favor to us, and so continue to pray, and we thank you for praying for us over uh, these last uh, many years that the Lord has given us the opportunity to minister there at Faith Bible Church and here in the Pacific Northwest. And then, uh, before I pray, um, Earl was very kind to instruct each of us that were speaking about the, the time limits, and I appreciated that, and uh, and so much so, I want you to know that the, the other men that are... Uh, preaching uh, this week while we're together are very good men. They're very gracious men. Matter of fact, um, we, uh, we were given a 45-minute time limit, and um, I was told that uh, Keon and Matt have extended to me five minutes of their allotted time. So I have 10 extra minutes tonight. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know that. So if you get a little bit, so thank you, men, for your generosity. No, that, no not at all. Not at all. <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad you laughed. That was my point there. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word that you might speak to us. I thank you for each of my fellow laborers, fellow bondservants of Christ Jesus that are here this evening, fellow coworkers in the ministry of the gospel and the opportunity that we have to be your disciples disciples of the Lord Jesus, and to minister in your church. May these days together be encouraging days, edifying days, days where we would think rightly about you and rightly about the ministries that you've called us to, that we might have opportunity where you would confront us and there would be repentance and the confession of sin that we would demonstrate that we are indeed yours and that you would speak to us even here tonight. Lord Jesus, as we hear your words, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that would be sensitive to what you would say to us at this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, the topic that I've been given tonight is to talk about uh, what discipleship is. And I've been assigned the passage in Luke chapter 14, and verses 25 to 33. And so we're going to work through this passage together. And uh, just a couple things to begin this evening. And really, I want to fill out that title a little bit more. And I want to say this, what discipleship is according to the words of Jesus. Uh, we have been studying through the gospel of Matthew at Faith Bible Church. And I've been overwhelmed with the understanding, and even in our own culture that we live in, that there's so many people that are confused about what it means to be a Christian what it means to be a disciple. And I, quite frankly, just simply said, can that person who claims to be a disciple 
claim any words of Christ in their life and that you can look at their life and point to anything that Jesus has said. It's a standard that Jesus calls us to because he calls us to be a disciple according to his words. Not a manual that is handed to us that are other men's ideas, but his very words speak to us. And I pray that as we consider the topic of discipleship and look at what discipleship is according to the words of Jesus, that we would be reminded again that the most important thing in your life and in my life and in your ministry and my ministry is that we are disciples of Jesus. Nothing else really matters. No matter how big or how small, no matter how many people that we have won to Christ, it is the words of Jesus and what discipleship is according to the words of Jesus. And so as we begin tonight and we look at this topic and understand these things, discipleship is the, is the life of a disciple who walks with his master and teacher, learning from him and knowing more about him and being with him. You could even say it this way, that the disciple, his whole life is shaped by that attachment to the master and that teacher. And that's exactly what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. One man described it this way. He said, in the days, all kinds of people had disciples in Jesus' day. And two of the Greek words that were commonly used in that time were didaskalos, which means teacher, and Matthias, which means pupil or disciple. Now, it was impossible for a didaskalos, a teacher, to be a teacher unless he had a Matthias. And it was equally impossible for a Matthias or a pupil of a disciple unless he had a teacher. It was the relationship between that Matthias, Matthias and didaskalos, between the pupil and the teacher, that was the essence of the relationship, discipleship. And then this is what they say. The essence of discipleship is relationship. It is our relationship with the Lord Jesus. It is our relationship with others that God would call us into in the ministry that he has given us. A disciple of Christ is someone who believes and follows Jesus. But we live in a day that people have sort of put some caveats and some limitations on that. And I want to say tonight very boldly to you that a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Christ is not someone who merely accepts some of his teachings that they agree with. A disciple of Jesus is not someone who's only allowing certain aspects of their life to be affected by the words of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is not choosy in the modifications and taking the words of Jesus and not taking other words of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is not simply deciding what is in and what is out in the teachings of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is not kindly interested in moral teachings for a good life for himself from Jesus. And see, all these kinds of things are sort of the, the floating ideas that people have. And yet you come to a passage like this and you, you sort of throw out all those ideas. Because if you believe what Jesus says, and if he's Lord of your life, and even as he says in the Gospel of Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And we preach that, and we tell people that. And then we come to words like this that Jesus gives. 
Steve Lawson wrote a book called The Cost, What It Takes to Follow Jesus. And he said this, this commitment to Jesus is the beginning of a whole new walk. Previously, we had been walking according to the course of this world. We had been going in the direction of the world. It was a life pursuit in which we did what we wanted and how we wanted and when we wanted and with whom we wanted. We were traveling on a broad path to tolerate any manner of life. But when we come to Christ by faith, this new journey begins to take us in an entirely new direction. Following Jesus means that we no longer go on our own way. We no longer follow the flow of the crowd. We begin to walk a new path that is headed in a new direction. And we walk as Jesus walked and imitate him. And we start to obey the word of God, end quote. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, we know these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? Acts on them. Shall be like a man who builds his house upon the rock. He's a wise man. And, and then secondly, in that same passage, it says another thing, doesn't he? Those who hear these words of mine, and, and what? And they don't act on them. See, I really believe that when we hear the words of Jesus and when Jesus gave these words, even here, Luke 14, all the words that are spoken to us, he was really calling us to act on them, to obey them, to fall through on them, and to really account whether we are the wise men or the foolish men. And I'm glad that there are many that are here tonight. You're wise because you've taken the words of Jesus and you've acted on them and you're building on the rock. And praise the Lord for you. And we're just so glad that we have that opportunity even tonight to consider these things. But as we anticipate looking at these words of Jesus in Luke 14, there, there's another question that I want to ask us even tonight. Which words of Jesus would people in your ministry testify about in your life? They would say, there's a person who walks with Jesus and believes Jesus because I see him living out those words by Jesus in his life or their life. Can I be as bold to say that that's really the standard for us? So many times, brothers and sisters, so many times there are so many other things that are pressuring us. <laughs> the ways of the world and the, the feelings of people and and I've rarely had someone come to me and confront me and say, Pastor Tim, I think you need to look at these words of Jesus and begin to do them. Right? They got a lot of other things they want to tell me. And I just want to, I want to lift your soul, I want to encourage your heart tonight that the most important thing in your life is that you hear the words of Jesus and you act on them. And so tonight as we hear his words, may God give us grace to be able to do just that. You know, when we consider these things and we understand, uh, when you consider the demands of the calling of the Lord Jesus on a pastor, a church leader, a missionary, I just came up with a little list of things that I thought about, that the burdens of the calling of being in these different ministry positions. We, we have the the demands of hypocritical betrayals. People that walk away. And yet Jesus was very familiar with that, wasn't he? Heavy burdens that we bear. And yet Jesus addresses that, does he not? When he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. 
How about honest beatings? You ever had someone come to you and give you a real beat down with their words? Let me be honest with you. The demands of the call of ministry, heartfelt blows where things are done that are said that you don't merely feel at a, at a mind level, you feel at a heart level, even human boastings where people boast about things that they ought not to. But see, I'm here tonight to encourage you that all the demands of the calling of Jesus on the life of a person who is a pastor, a church leader, a missionary, all these different things, that indeed we can handle those things and understand those things and give them in the right perspective if you and I would see the demands of the calling of Jesus for each of his disciples according to his words. And I'm just trying to be honest. If we really put the burden where Jesus puts it in our lives as disciples, I really believe then we begin to understand what we are called to do and to be and where that burden should lie. And even help us understand the things that we endure are very light, really, compared to the things that he would call us to be as his disciple. So look with me at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Follow along as I read. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. This is what discipleship is according to the words of Jesus. Did you notice? Verse 26, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so then none of you can be my disciple. There seems to be this idea, does there not, that Jesus says it's very difficult to be his disciple. Very difficult. And the burden that is bears is that there are three ways that someone cannot be his disciple and emphasizing and really in that first section in verses 25 to 27, we can see some of the conditions and commitments of being a disciple of Jesus. And did you notice even the context? And I do not want to take up a lot of time, but this chapter is a very important chapter. And I encourage you to read the full chapter sometime tonight, maybe before you go to bed, to understand that when, when Luke records for us in verse 25, now large crowds were going along with him. See, there were a lot of people that thought they had this thing figured out with discipleship and Jesus. The problem was it was on their terms. It was at their distance and, and they could follow Jesus as fast and as quick and as close as they wanted to. And yet Jesus won't allow them to be that way. He doesn't allow them to come to him on their terms. It's so wonderful. And it's so 
pleasing to the Lord to recognize that Jesus Christ is the one who calls us on his terms to be his disciple. You don't have to be a great man in, in the eyes of men. You don't have to have great fame. You don't have to have great ability. Just study some of the disciples that Jesus chose. Those 12 and one was a betrayer. And even Peter had many of his own problems, didn't he? And so let's look at this together. As we see and understand what he's saying, the setting here, the large crowd, everyone was hearing him and listening to him and they're walking with him. And then all of a sudden in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Here is the demand of uncompromised love for Jesus to be his disciple. He uses the word hate, and at the beginning in verse 26, if anyone comes to me, it is an open invitation. And Jesus very clearly here is emphasizing the individual. If any of you individually comes to me, and that's where discipleship begins. It begins with Jesus setting the terms, and it is indeed what is required by Jesus himself. And I believe that discipleship then is when those requirements have been placed on the life of the person, and therefore, they follow Jesus. But it's striking, is it not, that he would use such strong language? The thing that maybe would quickly go by us is the reality that there were lots of fathers and mothers and wives and children and brothers and sisters that were probably in that large crowd that were walking with him. This became immediately personal. And discipleship always is. You know, some people say discipleship, it's intentional, it's personal, it's all practical, it's all these other things, right? But Jesus indeed says it's personal. It's gonna involve me and you, and it's gonna affect your relationships with everybody else. Matter of fact, it's gonna affect your relationships with those who are dearest to you. He says if he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and I think it helps us understand here even when he says, and yes, even his own life. I'm so glad he said that. <laughs> because it puts it in perspective, does it not? It's to every area, every relationship. The Bible very clearly tells us, does it not, that the greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then different translations, all your strength. It's very clearly that God deserves the greatest love that we can offer. And so even in that regard, this is what Jesus is referring to. And we know that even in the language that's being used, and they very clearly would have understood what he was saying, which is kind of funny because in my translation, and I have an NSB Bible, and I have a little note that says, by comparison of his love for me, to kind of soften it just a little bit to make sure you understand what's going on there, right? But I think it's very clear that Jesus isn't calling them to hate all these people. You can clearly go, even in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus tells us to love even our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Now, I believe what Jesus is saying, that my love demands such a high level in your life that my, your love for me 
in comparison to all the other relationships you would have, even your own life, those relationships we looked at as hate. This idea of single-minded loyalty in their discipleship that they would have, they would not have a less love for Jesus. He would have the most love. And, that, and brothers and sisters, I, I tell you, I, I'm convicted by that because I say, do people see me as one who loves Christ? More than anything, you know, a lot of people, you know, do you love your wife? Do you love your children? Oh, you can tell when I love my wife and I love my children. You can tell my, we know that, right? You can tell when people love people. But can they see your love for Christ and your love for Jesus? And brothers and sisters, I really think that one of the most important things that we need to consider is this demand of an uncompromised love for Jesus to be his disciple that we would be known as those who love him more than anyone else. And that, what a testimony that would be. And some people would even say, if you love the Lord Jesus the most, then you will love your mother and your father and your wife and your children, your brother, all the way that God wants you to love them. I mean, think about all the people that you love in this world. I mean, Jesus is putting his hand right on the life of the some of those people in your life and saying their love, your love for them needs to be less than your love for me. In perspective, in emphasis, one man said it this way, he, Jesus is saying that he is to come before our nearest and our dearest. That our Wives and our children and our brothers and sisters and our mothers and fathers are, ought not to have the greatest claim on our lives and our time. Thomas Boston said it this way, that Jesus is to be dearer than what is dearest to him or her in the world. Dear. We have the hymn we sing, Fairest Lord Jesus, right? And someone needs to write another line in that hymn, based on these verses. He is fairer than all those that are dearest to me, right? One man even said it this way, Jesus must be more important to you than anyone else. And Jesus says, even his own life, and he cannot be my disciple. You remember when Jesus was uh, restoring Peter in John chapter 21? Do you remember what he asked Peter? Anybody remember? Do you love me more than these? Isn't that wonderful? Jesus very clearly in restoring Peter is emphasizing that that is the most important aspect of the relationship. And even in the context, without going into all the detail there, even Jesus knew everything about Peter and even knew about his love. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad tonight that I with conviction can say, I am so glad Jesus loves me more than I love him. But I pray and say, Lord, help me to love you more and to show people in the world that indeed you are the dearest one in my life. There is a, a supreme loyalty that Jesus needs to be above all other relationships. And even Similar to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he said it this way, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And I thought about this in relationship to, to our own discipleship with the Lord Jesus and our discipling of others and how often we would see more victory in battles over sin if we would have a greater love for Jesus. That maybe when we're praying with those whom we're discipling and we're emphasizing what discipleship is all about, that we're really concerned about their love for Jesus. And that we might be even bold enough sometimes to say that the love of Jesus needs to be the dearest and the most important relationship in your life. And, and when that happens, some of these other things will fall into their proper perspective. But that's hard for us too, isn't it? Because some of us, we would, if we were to ask what is the, the most dearest things to us, we would list some of these relationships that are here in verse 26. And by the way, brother and sister, what is dear to you in ministry? What is it that when you speak to people, I love, I love to preach. I love to serve. I love to give. Right? I love to share the gospel. And those things aren't wrong, right? But when was the last time somebody heard you say out loud, I love Jesus more than anything? And they believed you. I'm so glad that the Savior is the one who calls us to this level of commitment because he knows that we fail. He knows that we're, we're imperfect in that regard. But it doesn't remove the standard. And so it's a love for him that makes all the other relationships pale in comparison. And he even says that he who hates his own life See, Jesus is over all of my relationships, but he's also over my life. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot learn from me. He cannot be my follower. And then if that standard wasn't high enough, then Jesus goes on here in the conditions and commitments of being a disciple of Jesus and the demand of uncompromised love for Jesus to be his disciple. Secondly, in verse 27, whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is the demand of unconditional commitment to Jesus to be his disciple. Now, you know, again, as the word disciple and discipleship has kind of fallen into different times, this whole idea of bearing a cross has fallen into that also. And people talk about a cross that Jesus is not talking about in this passage. And the reason why is because if they knew what the language spoke of and the way Jesus spoke, this is not something that is put on you. This is something that you take up and you carry because you're a disciple of Jesus. I hear a lot of people talk about crosses or things that come into their life that they want removed and they would pray even that God would take it away. It's my cross. And I don't want to even entertain some of the things that people say. They're very trivial, quite frankly, and the things they refer to as a cross. 
with the demand of an unconditional commitment to Jesus to be his disciple, Jesus says, whoever, and again, it's in the singular, emphasizing whoever would be in this position that they would take up, and he's talking in, in, in the present form. He's emphasizing the idea, who does not presently take up the cross? And this word is powerful because he does emphasize And we know and understand the cross that he's going to bear for our sins. A burden, beloved, that none of us could bear. That I believe that, quite frankly, even the mere idea of going, beginning to walk down the journey that Jesus walked in, that our hearts would have grown faint and we would have been terrified. And Jesus walked the whole way for us. So when he says, who does not carry his own whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple whoever the individual does not presently take up his own cross pick it up you do this you actively pick up a cross and and figuratively this can refer to things that are very burdensome and difficult I don't know about you, but those are the kind of things that I find myself often praying, God, can you remove that from me? Right? And in essence, Jesus is saying that to be my disciple, you have to be willing to pick pick up the cross. To be his disciple, there are things that are burdensome and that are difficult to follow after me. And you take up your cross and then you come after me. You choose to do that. Look at the way he again, he says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You pick up the cross, it's not placed on you, and you go after him and follow him. It's powerful in the emphasis that is being given here because it's something that is shown and seen in the life. And beloved, I need to tell you just very kindly that the cross that Jesus speaks of here is more than trouble or infirmity or difficulty that we have brought into our lives. That quite honestly, just simply common to all people that are in a sin-cursed fallen world. These are the things that you and I pick up because I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm willing to bear that burden and that difficulty for Jesus because to follow him means it's gonna be hard and I'm gonna bear my cross. And again, we find ourselves in this, these verses very quickly saying, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to be the one who would bear the cross, pick up the cross and to come after you, to follow you, that that would be the present activity in my life. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I, I spend some time complaining about things that are difficult and burdensome. Hey, you're not like me, so I'll move on there. No sense, no confession time here tonight. The reality of understanding that you pick it up in your life, in the way that you live, it then becomes the way that you live. You're living for him and you're carrying in every moment this idea, even you could say that later on Paul would talk about this crucified form of life. The guy who carried his cross was a guy that was gonna go to his death that he no longer was living a life for himself. (laughs) Didn't have great hopes and dreams 
for the life that he was gonna live. His life was gonna come to an end. And I believe what Jesus is saying here for us to do this, there needs to be a constant putting aside of self because following him is the most important thing. I mean, can you imagine the people in the crowd saying, it's gonna be more burdensome and more difficult to follow, right? Could we say it this way, that Jesus must be worth doing anything and everything for him and for his sake, whatever he would call us to do. And Jesus says, he cannot be my disciple. You know, I love the verses in Hebrews chapter 12, very familiar to us. Let us run, let us set aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Isn't that wonderful? I don't run this race in my own strength, but I do have certain responsibilities to keep running. And yet in this situation, we're picking up a cross. And understanding even as we continue in those verses, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus in Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him, you can finish it, endured the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the cross. Thank you for doing that. And beloved, when you pick up your cross and you come after him, you're declaring to the world, the one whom I followed bore a cross. He bore my sins on the cross. I gladly will do whatever he's called me to do, no matter how burdensome or how difficult it would be. And we find ourselves again in our own discipleship with Jesus and our relationship with those whom we're discipling. And we say, Lord, help me to take up that cross. You know, if we were really honest, there are some burdens and difficulties that sometimes we kind of just let lay for a while. Like, you know I don't know if I want to pick that up. Anybody else feel like that? I got, hey, I got enough going on right now. I got enough burdens. I can't pick up that burden. Rather than praying every day when you wake up, Lord Jesus, today I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow you. And then you're praying that for those whom you're discipling. Because there are some crosses they need to bear to follow Jesus also. There may be some very difficulties in their marriage and difficulties at work and difficulties with wayward children and difficulties and different things that are going on in their life. You know, Jesus, in, earlier on in Luke, he, in Luke chapter 9, if you turn there with me, has stated some of these things already. And so, it emphasizes again the reality in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. See, you know those verses. We know the verses, but when we get up in the morning, do we say, okay, checklist for what I'm gonna do today. I got a busy day today. Look at all the things I need to do. 
And we just totally go by the reality that we're to take up our cross daily. I'm convicted by that. Because, beloved, you and I have been entrusted with the responsibility to be leaders. To be the disciplers of others. And where are they going to learn what it means to be a disciple if the, if the leaders are somehow kind of taking a pass on this one? Right? Oh, it's so, so important for us. He says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Wow. And look with me further in, in verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 57 and 62. Remember the people that came to Jesus and they were eager to follow. Except they were setting the terms and the conditions upon which they were going to follow. Listen to what Jesus says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Oh, isn't that great? Sign them up. And Jesus said to him, the foxes, have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I believe what Jesus is saying quite literally is this is a hard, burdensome, difficult way to walk, and it's very uncomfortable. And then another said, Follow, he said to another, Follow me. And this time Jesus speaks directly to a man. And he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. But the Lord said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. So did any of those follow him? I believe they were taking one step the other direction. They didn't even hear what Jesus said. Like here, Jesus, I have a really good reason why I'm not going to follow you right now and and obey your command to follow you because I have these other responsibilities. You'll understand. And then if you go back to Luke chapter 14 and we understand these things, even in the gospel of John, (laughs) Jesus said it this way, Jesus was saying, therefore, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And it kind of goes back to where it began. If if the word of Christ and the word of Jesus is abiding in you, it's seen by people, it's shown to them, you're testifying of the reality of these are the demands of being a disciple. And indeed, I am a disciple of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of people, quite frankly, right? If they say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, oh yeah, let me read you some words of Jesus and see, let me t- tell you what you think. Oh, oh, I don't know about that, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a serious, you know, disciple. Like somehow in these verses, there's those like different levels. He just simply says, you cannot be my disciple. You're not a disciple of Jesus if these demands are not met according to the words that he's given us. You know, when uh, we go to the lake, I don't know about you, but with all this cold weather and the snow and everything, I've been kind of thinking about what summer's gonna be like. And, you know, I don't know about you, but we have this tradition when we go to the lake, this little ritual that we go through. We get to decide how quickly everybody's gonna get in the water. Anybody else had that experience? 
So we get there and they're our family of six and we have different ones that do different things. There are some people, they get right in and they just jump right into the water. No hesitation at all, right? Some of you may be that way. Others of you are kind of more like I am where I just, you know, I kind of make my way, look around and make sure, oh yeah, the lake's still there. Okay, I'm looking around. And I kind of put a foot in and I stand there for a while. Daddy, come in the lake, come in the lake. And then I go up to my knees. Anybody else relate to this? Eventually I jump in and I think, oh, why didn't I jump in right away? Why did I go through this silly routine? It's kind of a funny thing in our family that daddy's got to take his time to get into the, into the lake. Well, that's kind of funny and everything there. But beloved, it's not very funny when you think about discipleship that way. I just, you know, I'm just going to put my toe in just a little bit. Then I'm going to stay here for a while until I'm comfortable enough and I feel like I can make, take another step. And there are some that have already dove in. We know their names. We know the books that we've read. There's people that are suffering even this very day around the globe because they're a disciple of Jesus and, and they've dove in and we're, we're sitting there with our feet in the water trying to decide, you know, is, this, is it warm enough outside to get in the lake? That's another thing I claim. If it's not 90 degrees outside, I don't get in the lake. So that tells you how often I get in the lake, right? Okay, around here. But the thing about that is, why, why is it that way? Because I'm I, comfortable. It's going to be on my terms. I'm going to go in the way I want to go in. And guess what? I'm not really fully committed that way too. You know what I mean? But the sad part is that there's some people sitting on the shore. And who do you think's convincing them about whether they should get in the lake or not? They're looking at the person that's standing there with their feet in the water going, well, if it's like that, then I, I'm not even gonna try. And discipleship can be like that. And I really wanna call us to the reality that we should be all the kinds of people that we're jumping in and they see in us a full obedience to the Lord Jesus in all these different areas in our lives that he calls us to. And it's wonderful when you think of it that way. But we go from the conditions and commitments of being a disciple to secondly, the costs and consequences of being a disciple. Look at verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. And all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. This is really interesting because Jesus now gives us the cost and the consequences of being a disciple. And he really calls out, the people there, and he's basically saying, it's gonna cost you something to follow me. And some people haven't really thought through, maybe they join right away, and, but they haven't really thought through how much it's really gonna cost them to be a true disciple. Because they think, oh yeah, I hear what Jesus is saying. Well, I'll go along and then I'll kind of figure some of these things out. And, and Jesus says to us, first of all, you need to carefully and thoughtfully count the costs. It's an approach that's appropriate to decisive calculation. There is a, a calculation. There is the, the idea that I am willing to pay the cost. Now, what's really fascinating about the, this tower, other places would translate it a watchtower. And they would build these towers so that they could sit over their whole area of property they owned and keep an eye on it. Oh, if that's not an illustration, 
Jesus is saying, you know, some people, they're really concerned about keeping an eye on their whole life. And they don't even realize that to be a disciple of Jesus, their things have to change. It's gonna cost you something. Notice the way even Jesus emphatically says it in verse 30, this man and the shame that is brought to him. Could I ask you a couple questions tonight? Am I willing to follow Christ when it does cost me and will cost me? And again, I know for many of you in this room tonight, it does, and I, I praise the Lord for that. But I think it's an honest question that we have to constantly ask ourselves. Am I willing to follow Christ and do what it costs me and it will cost me something? Am I giving myself to the constant instruction of the claims of Christ as a disciple? Am I willing for it to cost me to follow Jesus as his disciple? One man called this parable the open-eyed commitment that we make to Jesus. That we must first carefully and thoughtfully count the costs and calculate the demands of discipleship and the costs and consequences of being a disciple. And then secondly, carefully and thoughtfully consider the terms. Notice verse 31, or what king, when he set out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000, or else while the other is so far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. That's a very interesting story. And I've got to tell you, if you read probably five different commentaries, they're going to give you five different interpretations. So why don't I give, give you my shot? Huh? I think it's very clear that when Jesus says something, he says it twice in verse 28, you sit down and calculate the cost. That imagery is beautiful, isn't it? You're spending some time with that deliberate and decisive calculation there. But here is the deliberate consideration because there's really something at stake now. <laughs> and it's right in front of you. In other words, Jesus is saying it takes immediate consideration because you understand what's at stake. And there's lots of different people that interpret it in different ways, but isn't a king an appropriate way to describe people the way they view their life? Hey, I'm a king, and I rule, and I'm gonna go into battle. Oh, wait a minute, uh, that guy's gonna, I'm not gonna win that battle, and he's just gonna take me over. So what does Jesus say? You surrender on his terms. That's the imagery. You, you, you don't go, well, you know, I'll... We'll figure it out. No, you, on his terms. And that's what Jesus is saying. And it's powerful because of the imagery that is given here because he's confronting us that we're carefully and thoughtfully considering the terms that are given here that so many people are presiding over their life and the affairs of their life like a king. And that they surrendered to another king. So the questions are, am I willing to surrender to Christ on his terms? And am I surrendering to him on his terms? And am I giving myself to the immediate situation of the rule of Christ? The rule of Christ. I like the word ask, by the way, and we don't wanna push the parable too far, but in verse 32, when he says he sends a delegation and asks, that word, by the way, can be a word that's used for prayer, but that's something to consider and understand the pleading and begging that can occur when you're asking someone who's greater and mightier and more powerful that they would be gracious and merciful to you and set the terms of your surrender. 
So the demand of an uncompromised love for Jesus to be his disciple, the demand of an unconditional commitment to Jesus to be his disciple. And then verse 33, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Okay, wait a minute. And if we think about it very clearly, what Jesus is saying here, the demand of the unrelenting importance of Jesus to be his disciple. There's no area of life that is to be left unchanged when you become a disciple. Your relationships, your very life, and everything that you own. There's no aspect of living that remains unaffected when you are a disciple. And the words that Jesus uses here are very powerful. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. It's an intensive Greek verb. And the word is apotasso. And it means to part from them, to leave it behind, to say goodbye to it. In other words, Jesus is saying that we would renounce and we would give up anything that would be in the way of us following him. And so he, he emphatically states it, so th- declaring it. And you say, well, did Jesus ever ask any man to do that? Do you know, did he ask a man to ever do that, to give up all of his possessions to follow him? He did. In Luke chapter 19, the rich young ruler. And it's amazing, isn't it? And that man, what did he do? He walked away because he was a man of many possessions. None of these, Jesus, are worth me giving up to put down to say goodbye to for you. And so the conditions and the commitments of being a disciple of Jesus, the costs and consequences of being a disciple of Jesus, very clearly here, the demand of an uncompromised love for Jesus, a demand of unconditional commitment to Jesus, the demand of an unrelenting importance of Jesus to be his disciple. That's what it means. That God would call us and Jesus' words would, would teach us and that we would learn and grow and we would be such a disciple and we would call other people to be that disciple because they see in us. Because, beloved, that's exactly what they need to see. Does a man actually believe and obey what Jesus says? Is there any man who chooses to be this kind of disciple? And we should be the ones that step straight up and say yes. The Lord has called me, and I believe him. And he's more important to me than any relationship. He's more important than my own life. He's more important than anything that I have. And I follow him. Discipleship is the life of a disciple who walks with his master and teacher, learning from him and knowing more about him and being with him. It is a life that is shaped by the attachment to a master and teacher. Again, I quote Steve Lawson in his book, The Cost, What It Takes to Follow Jesus. He says this, following Jesus, quote, requires the commitment of an entire life to Jesus Christ. Coming to Jesus takes prior to every other pursuit in life. It necessitates the submission of our wills to him as we surrender to his lordship. This path requires sacrifice and at times even our suffering for him. To be sure, Jesus will not follow us. We are called to follow him. And so with the remaining time I have here this evening, a couple things for us to consider. First of all, the words of Jesus mandate such a response from each of us. 
that these words would be seen by others in our ministry and our family in the church body. Don't you agree? It, it demands of us and the mandate that we would give in our response to it that we'd say, yes, Lord, I believe. And that is what discipleship is. And secondly, the words of Jesus demand such a responsibility from each of us that his words are demonstrated by ourselves in our lives, in the ministry that we have, in the families God has given us, in the church body in which we serve. You know, I think one of the great temptations that we face as church leaders, as brothers and sisters of Christ that lead others, Yeah, Lord, but what about that guy? What about that guy? And we should know the story in John chapter 21. Do you know the story? Jesus has just explained to Peter that he is going to grow old, but he's going to suffer for him. I mean, what kind of promise would that be, right? You're going you're gonna to die an old man, but you're going to suffer for me. And I believe that Peter understood at that point too that there were gonna be many years of faithful service that he was gonna be able to render to his savior. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter, follow me. And you know in the next part of the story, right? In John 21, it says this, and Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John who wrote the gospel of John. And the one who also had leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And Peter turns around and says, what about that guy over there? And you know what Jesus said. And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Beloved, I pray that those words would resonate in our hearts and our minds, that that would be the commission that Jesus has given to us. You follow me. Don't be worried about that guy. You follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to know and to believe and understand and to hear the words of Jesus. Lord, I pray that for each of us that we would have a renewed commitment, a renewed love, a renewed life that is offered to you as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Indeed, these words will be seen in our lives. May you minister to us over the days ahead as we're together and consider discipleship, that indeed your spirit would minister to us in the words that we've heard and understood, and there would be conviction of sin. There may be repentance in our lives and the confession of sin and a greater love for you and a greater commitment to you and and you would have greater importance in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.